0: Hello everybody. Welcome to another episode. I sound haggard. Uh this is maybe because I am in Vegas and uh last night was fun. <laughs> I really really don't like Vegas and I also really really don't enjoy going from Guatemala to Los Angeles to Vegas um within the course of a week. That's a bit of a serious culture shock situation. Um It was funny, the other night there was some guy holding a megaphone down at the bottom of the hotel and we're on like the 21st floor and so, and there's no windows, uh, but I could hear this guy as clear as day uh, on his megaphone talking about Jesus and like lecturing all the people in Vegas and I hate Vegas so much that I listened to that and I was like, I feel like I agree with the Jesus guy with the megaphone more than I do with this horrific capitalist shithole. Um, so that was sort of a strange experience. I've never really related to the Jesus guy on the soapbox, but things change. Um, Chris and I were here for this event, meet Delic that he was speaking at, uh, uh, around psychedelics. Um, and we met up with some podcast listeners last night, um, away from the strip. We keep leaving the strip every night and going to hang out in like a normal part of Vegas, if that exists much more normal than all of this crap. Or I guess this is normal for Vegas. I don't know. Anyway, we hung out with them last night and uh, had a lot of fun. Our friends Oliver and Cheryl are here as well. So that was nice. The only way to do Vegas, I think, is to leave the vicinity and um, hang out with some of your closest friends. Um, In other news, I am really excited to bring you today's episode with Whitney. This is Whitney's second time on the show. We met uh, during our astrology apprenticeship, and we previously recorded an episode on Saturn, um, which I highly recommend if you are interested in astrology uh, and interested in Saturn, especially if you're in your late 20s and about to go through or currently in or just went through your Saturn return. Um, And today we are talking about planetary retrogrades, Uh, which is a a big topic and certainly a topic that people uh, very frequently misunderstand. So we wanted to dispel some false narratives around it uh, and also use it as a basis to announce a course that we're teaching this winter. Uh, Venus is going to be going retrograde in the sign of Capricorn. And Venus retrogrades have affected both Whitney and I very personally um, in actually sort of similar ways the year we met, actually, in 2018 specifically. Um, And we both approached that retrograde at the time with a lot of intention and focus, knew it was sort of going to be significant relative to where Venus was going retrograde um, in our charts in the sky and then relative to our needle charts. Um, And we really kind of grabbed the bull by its horns and decided to get rid of a bunch of crappy relational dynamics that we had been holding on to. Um, In Whitney's case, there was a lot of ambivalence. In my case, there was a lot of uh, codependency and just unhealthy forms of relating. And both of us really took it into our own hands and uh, kind of made a promise to ourselves and to Venus that we were going to let go of all of the bullshit um, and had a little bit of a surprise enter both of our lives after that period of time. But I think we both really believe in approaching astrology and astrological transits and knowledge about the archetypes with intention and with focus and with diligence and with efficient study and looking at the mythology and um, speaking to other people. And so we wanted to create somewhat of a container about it. Uh, so, um, that's open to everyone. It's open to beginners. It's open to people who know about astrology. Um, we're going to be focusing on all of your charts. Uh, if you know them, great. If you don't, we will give you natal charts and explain what they mean and how to look at them. Um, this is particularly relevant for those of you who have taken my lunar circle or who haven't been able to and are interested in taking it in the future. Whitney also offers a ton of courses and, uh, yeah, this would be a great way to kind of check out both of our teaching styles and the type of astrology that we practice. So, um, I won't say too much more because we expand upon uh, the Venus retrograde coming up and the course. Um, and lots and lots of talk about retrogrades this is a two hour conversation about retrogrades, um, which I hope you'll find interesting. We delve into Mercury, Venus, and Mars, um, really go into their archetypes, their cycles overall, and why the retrograde is significant. So, I'm not going to say too much. Um, because I am tired and because I need to pack up and because this episode is much more interesting than me um, blabbing on. But if you would like to join our Venus Retrograde with Intention course, You can go to Whitney's website to sign up, which is starhearthastrology.com, S-T-A-R-H-E-A-R-T-H.com. And under bookings, you'll see retrograde with intention and you can sign up. We're going to meet three times live over Zoom. Um, We're going to set up a WhatsApp group for all of you to communicate with us and with each other over the course of the retrograde period. So this is basically a course that will span two months. Um, And since they're is quite a bit of time in a a two-month period. We wanted to make sure that you guys were able to interact with each other and get support through the whole thing. So we'll set up that WhatsApp group um, and yeah, talk a lot about Venus and talk a lot about your charts in particular. So if after listening to this, you're interested, we would love to have you. As always, if you would like to support the podcast, please go to iTunes and scroll past the list of episodes, hit some stars in a review. This helps the podcast show up more in search results and makes it look more legit when I reach out to guests I'd like to have on the show because they think, oh, look, people actually listen to that and they like it. (laughs) Um, So that actually comes full circle. You leaving a review for me helps you in the end uh, with me getting cooler, cooler, more popular, more famous guests um, who might not otherwise give me the time of day. Also, if you would like to join our community, we have a really thriving, amazing Patreon community. Um, If you join Patreon, you donate to the podcast each month, a little small amount. Keeps this podcast going, helps me not ever have advertisers, which let's be honest, are horrible. Uh, So instead, I rely on donations from all of you. And in exchange for supporting the podcast, I give you access to all sorts of community perks. We have a Discord server where there are, I don't know, 15 different channels of things that we talk about, from gardening to art to sex and relationships. We actually just invited all the horror poor patrons into the Discord server as well. Uh, So there's lots of really cool people in there, and people are meeting each other and actually becoming friends and supporting each other through really hard times. I know how difficult it is or seemingly difficult it is to meet like-minded people. Uh, It's really one of the reasons I started the podcast, because I couldn't find friends. And uh, so I figured if I could pick up a megaphone and talk about Jesus. No, just kidding. Um, I can talk about my weird taboo beliefs that people might hear and agree with and want to be friends with me. (laughs) Um, So I recognize how difficult it is and I recognize how we need to kind of work in strategic ways in, in order to find those people. And I really think there's a whole fuck ton of them in our Patreon community and in Discord and those of you who participate in the book clubs and the workshops and um, we all share playlists and yeah, it's like an actual community of humans and I'm super grateful and I feel like they're my family. I feel like you're my family. It's uh, a really beautiful way to do this project, uh, alongside all of you. So we hope to see you in the Patreon community. If you are not there already, you can find more in- information on that at patreon.com slash Anya Cots A-N-Y-A-K-A-A-T-S. I'm going to play you in with Love Like a Sunset Part 2 by Phoenix. Do you guys remember Phoenix? I feel like they might still be around, but I was really, really into them when I was 19 or 20, I think, 20, and I was living in Amsterdam. Um, But I heard the song the other day. I'm actually working on a nostalgia playlist for my patrons at the moment, Um, and I was listening to some Phoenix and Love Like a Sunset. Uh, specifically the part two one. Is there a part one? I don't even know. But this one in particular uh, really reminded me of Venus and Venus's cycle and Venus's retrograde and this idea of cyclical time. Um, And what's happening in the retrograde with Venus is that she's going from being an evening star to becoming a morning star um, and getting kind of sucked up in the sun and coming out the other side. She's ending and then beginning a cycle. Uh, so, and it's Venus. So we're talking about love and we're talking about relationships and we're talking about core needs and what do we need to get rid of and shed in order to begin a cycle again. So enjoy the song, enjoy this conversation. Uh, hope to see you in our Venus, uh, course. We are limiting it to only 25 people and there's a month to sign up. So if you're interested, I highly recommend jumping on that so you can secure your spot. I will catch you all on the other side. Okay we are live. I am here with Whitney for the second time Um, and I'm really excited to chat with you again this time about planetary retrogrades and uh, if you miss Whitney's first episode on the podcast we did a whole episode dedicated to Saturn uh, and talked a lot about Saturn return so definitely check that out. It's actually I was thinking about how that podcast is actually quite relevant To what we're going to end speaking about, which is the Venus retrograde coming up in Capricorn, which is ruled by Saturn. So, definitely a tie in there. Um, But yeah, thank you. Yeah,
1: I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me on again. Yeah.
0: So, we wanted to dedicate this episode to sort of dispelling some myths and false narratives around planetary retrogrades in general. Uh, we're going to talk a bit in depth about, um, the retrogrades of Mars, uh, Venus and Mercury and sort of, I feel like this is probably one of the most misunderstood aspects of astrology. For <laughs> uh, sure, for so, sure. and I, and I know when I learned about like the truth of it, it was like a pretty life-changing bit piece of, or collection of information. Um, so hopefully we can impart that knowledge to all of you and you guys can all kind of think about it in more complex terms um, that are are quite different from the standard narrative. So um, why don't we start by talking about what a retrograde is uh, like astronomically in the sky. So like what is happening? Why do we say planets are going retrograde and what is actually happening?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So that is something that confuses a lot of people. The planets in terms of the bodies in the sky are not stopping and moving backwards. <laughs> right. right. From the perspective of the sun, no planets ever go retrograde. Yeah. Um, but from our perspective on Earth, we see planets moving through the sky, stop, and move backwards for a bit, and then move forwards again. And so, um, so sometimes when we're being really specific, we call them apparent retrogrades. Yeah. And basically that has to do with the elliptical orbit of planets and when they reach parts of their orbits they do change speeds. So the planets orbiting the sun are not always moving around the sun at the same speed. So they are changing speed actually. Yeah. Um, but from our perspective this change in speed and their position relative to the sun um, has them appear like they are halting in the sky. And moving backwards. Right.
0: Um,
1: and so, you know, there's some questions about, well, why does it affect me if it's only apparent? Um, but I think, right, that question comes from the assumption that once we learned, you know, that that the solar system was solar centric and not geocentric, that the earth wasn't the center of the solar system, that that somehow changed astrology fundamentally which it really didn't because our point of view our perspective where we're you know how we're engaging with these um with these planetary archetypes that really didn't change at all it's kind of um yeah
0: yeah and I think that the the misunderstanding that the planets are actually moving backwards feeds into the myth around what a retrograde means for us um, astrologically, right? Like we have this idea that the planets are moving backwards and somehow like screwing up and fucking things up and (laughs) like going, like actually going backwards and therefore affecting us in that respect. Um, And I think that's part of the Issue. I don't know if you agree, but it's like, that's not actually what's happening. And so maybe symbolically and metaphorically, that's also not what's happening.
1: Right, right. I mean, it so depends on our position. Um, yeah, right. I mean, if we just think about our own lives, moments where we have to stop and kind of go back and reevaluate, right, the rest of the world doesn't stop moving. Yeah. When that's happening, right. Um, things are still going on, but right. We have different periods in our lives that last, you know, sometimes years, sometimes weeks where we have to kind of go back and, and reevaluate and kind of rearrange the furniture in our psychology <laughs> a yeah. little bit.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So can we talk about, so why is it that at certain times, specifically, the planets seem as if they're moving forward and at other times seem as if they're moving backward?
1: Yeah, Um, it's going to be a little bit different based on which planet we're talking about, right? So, I mean, right from the beginning, we really have to make distinctions about the planets that are... Closer to the sun than us, so Mercury and Venus, and then the ones that are farther away, Mars, and then all the way through to the outer planets. Because the way that we you know see retrogrades and the way that they like the timing of them and what's happening with them and um, is very very different um, based on that distinction. Because Mercury and Venus have a tighter orbit, so. Their you know, from our perspective, their whole journey around the sun, Mercury doesn't get more than, I think 29 degrees away from the sun at the greatest elongation. Um, and Merc- or, and Venus, I think it's around 40. yeah so right? So they are just kind of <laughs> they're always in the realm of the sun, and so their retrogrades look a lot different.
0: Um, yeah. Yeah. So why don't we, I think it would be easiest, uh, to delve in planet by planet so we can talk about them more specifically, because like you mentioned, each of the retrogrades are appearing as though they are uh, going retrograde, uh, for different reasons. And also that, um, portion of their cycle is different depending on what planet we're talking about, the significance Mm -hmm. of the retrograde Um, So why don't we start with Mercury, because I think it's sort of Mercury retrograde is the most commonly (laughs) discussed um, and the planet that uh, goes retrograde the most frequently. Um, So let's talk a little bit about uh, what's happening with Mercury. Why does it look retrograde and what is the astrological significance of those periods of time?
1: Sure. So... When Mercury is going direct, um, it's really moving behind the Sun. So if you can kind of picture us on Earth looking at the Sun, and we've got Mercury that has the tightest orbit around the Sun. When it seems to be moving forward, it's moving behind the Sun. um, On the far side, it's going to conjoin the Sun, um, and then get on ahead of it, and its station points are when it's getting, so right, we call the station point when the planet appears to stop in the sky, um, is when it gets the farthest out ahead of the sun, Um, and then it's going to appear to stop, and that stopping that we see is really just kind of mercury rounding the corner and starting to move in front of the sun right and so when it's moving in front of the sun we see that as retrograde motion um, from our perspective and the period of the retrograde is going to go from it's um, as far ahead as it gets from the sun all the way through it's going to cross the sun kind of in between us so um, it's the closest it gets to Earth during the retrograde, and then then it's going to kind of swing back behind the sun,
0: yeah.
1: and at its kind of greatest elongation behind the sun, it is going to reach another station point where it appears to stop when it's kind of rounding the corner to go back behind the sun. This is so hard. I know. I (laughs) know.
0: We need like visuals. Explain without visuals. (laughs) Yeah. I sort of like to describe some of this as like that sensation that happens when you are in a car in traffic next to another car, and you look Mm -hmm. at the car next to you, and it's moving forward, but for a moment you can't really tell if it's moving forward or you're moving backward. Um, yes. And that caught that sort of like strange trick of the eye that occurs. And like that, that that's sort of what's happening with the planets as well, that it's like a trick of the eye in a way. Uh, and so if you focus really hard on the car, you can tell what's happening. Um, but just at first glance, it seems like, um, you are moving backwards, <laughs> which is confusing. <laughs>
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, it's a bunch of relative motion, but I think that, yeah, that example is super helpful. Yeah. Um, yeah. I find, especially like in boats too, when you're like sitting in the water
0: trying to figure out what's happening. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I think that also symbolically is really interesting as well. Um, to kind of like, oh, what's going on here is I think a much better descriptor than like something's going wrong or something's going backwards, right? Right. Yeah.
1: Right. And I think there's also, you know, in the kind of dominant narrative about retrogrades, we spend a lot of time talking about, the, about them moving backwards and not a lot um, of time talking about what does it mean for them to be standing still? Yeah, for um, sure. Right? Because it's not like, you know, they're not ping pong balls. They don't just like hit the station <laughs> point and and veer off. They are really coming in much more slowly and then pausing. And then even as they start moving retrograde, they have to pick up speed in that direction.
0: Right. So let's talk a little bit about Mercury and its, um, uh, the myths around what a, a Mercury retrograde is, uh, astrologically and what your opinion ab- about what it really is <laughs> and what it really means for people.
1: Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, I think we've all seen this stuff. Some of the things that Mercury represents kind of get foiled up, um, In the retrograde. And so, kind of a lot of the stuff that we see in the kind of meme (laughs) narrative of the world is there's lots of misunderstandings, lots of um, miscommunications, lateness, you know, um, especially around electronic communications getting foiled up, um, emails getting lost waiting for 15 hours on hold on the phone to figure things out. There's a lot of, um, you know, Mercury represents communication and commerce. And um, so often we just get messed up in that area. And there's a lot of misunderstandings. um, Things take forever. That's a big one. It's like people being frustrated for how, with how long something's taking or how many times you have to do it over again.
0: Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Can you think of others?
0: Yeah. And like this whole idea of like, don't buy a computer or plan a vacation, like anything that you initiate during that period of time relative to yeah, don't
1: sign contracts.
0: Right. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. It's, it's interesting. I, when that Facebook, um, outage happened whenever that was sometime last mm-hmm. month, we were in a mer- mercury retrograde. And I remember it happened again, pretty significantly, like a couple of years prior. And I remember then it was during a mercury retrograde as well. Um, and someone, I saw somewhere that someone did the research and that, like every major Facebook outage <laughs> was happening during mercury retrogrades. Um, so yeah, all of those things. And, you know, I think what's, what's most frustrating to me about, this stuff is that there's a lot of like, it's almost like a little bit of, um, it's sort of symbolic. I feel like of how people treat astrology sometimes in general of like, we are the pawns of the planets and they're doing (laughs) things to us. Right. And like, we, we point fingers and say like, Oh, like, damn you, Mercury retrograde. Uh, there's a very kind of strange, like, like, as if we're not involved. At all, <laughs> right, right.
1: You know, and the kind of projection that everything that's happening is purely outside of us, and right. that we are subject to it, and <laughs> we are not involved or participants in any way. Um, and and I think there's also in that myth there's a kind of assumption that we don't matter. That, like, we are not involved in the greater story or the greater kind of, mm, I want to say ecology, um, but I mean that in probably more of, like, a psychological or spiritual sense, like, um, right, that we're somehow victims of our environment and that we're not um, kind of core fixtures of it as well. Right.
0: Yes, that I, makes sense. I, I, yeah, no, it totally makes sense. And also that there's nothing then to learn. Right. And I think maybe we can get right. into like what the purpose or what we see the purpose of retrogrades being when you position it as the planets are doing this to me, or we have no control or, you know, this is totally happening externally and affecting me. Then there is no interaction or responsibility or. Um, dialogue, I think, between yeah. like what's happening yeah, there's
1: no relationship, yeah, yeah, we remove the possibility of becoming deeply relational with animate or yeah with with an ensouled universe,
0: right so what how would you in a more evolved <laughs> educated perspective how would you talk to someone about mercury retrograde and if someone's like experiencing a lot of these issues around communication and planning and um you know obviously it's going to depend on the person specifically in the, their natal chart and the specific retrograde we're talking about mm-hmm. but uh sort of overall how do you approach a mercury retrograde
1: so a mercury retrograde For me, well, the kind of practical approach, I mean, I think one thing that's so hard in dispelling the myths around it is that a lot of them are true, right? You will encounter a lot of those things probably. And you'll have easier or harder mercury retrogrades based on your birth chart and different things that are going on. Um, Some of them you probably won't even notice, right? whereas some of them will be really big. But it's about kind of taking a breath. And so kind of um, a really simple metaphor that I like to use for Mercury retrograde is Mercury dropped his keys somewhere, right? You're like trying to leave the house. Everything's culminating, and you realize you don't know where your keys are. And so what happens when we do that? Well, we start going back over. We start kind of remembering where we've been and the things that we're doing. We search these kind of common places where, where they might have been, but it's this like literal kind of backward sweeping motion, looking for something that we've lost. And so I really take Mercury retrogrades as this period to kind of go, go back and repair ways of thinking. Like I think of Mercury Direct, especially when it's going really fast, as kind of on autopilot. We're just functioning on autopilot. There's not a lot of intention. We don't have to think about things too much. We're just kind of rushing ahead in, you know, servants of of progress Ooh. and right. <laughs> capitalism and just right. doing our thing and um, communicating without thinking about it, and that Mercury retrograde really um, calls us into a space of examining those things. And sometimes, right, you know, of giving us experiences of our autopilot not functioning or bringing us into trouble. And so um, having experiences that ask us to take a breath And kind of think more about what we're doing, think about how we're communicating, um, really kind of slow us down in a way that we can um, experience more of really just the world around us instead of just, you know, (laughs) scrolling through our lives as fast as we can. Totally. Totally
0: yeah i think I think Mercury can be quite manic uh and I say that from the <laughs> perspective of someone with Mercury and Virgo on my south node like that's can be extremely extremely manic um Mercury rules Virgo for those that aren't aware um yeah there's and that doesn't necessarily mean something's bad right like I think I get a lot done and I'm very productive and very efficient and very like inspired mm-hmm. and Um, Mm -hmm. like that doesn't necessarily have to be a bad thing, right? Like having a strong mercury can make it so that you are a great writer or you really like podcasting or, you know, you are a really quick communicator. Um, but certainly we all need to take a breath and slow down once in a while. And I think like, you know, this idea, I like this a lot, this, this concept of dropping the keys, like instead of being like, fuck it, I dropped the keys and now I'm going to go on a manic search for them, like maybe mm-hmm. the what Mercury is asking you to do is to um, slow down because you lost or dropped the keys because you're moving too quickly and because you're too distracted mm-hmm. and because you haven't taken a breath. Uh, and the, you know the same goes for the computer stuff, let's say. Like if the computer goes down, Maybe the point isn't to curse Mercury and try to get the computer to start, but to like go out and take a walk outside, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah,
1: yeah. And and from within Mercury retrogrades, for practical advice, you know, it's just like build lots of lots of flexibility into your schedule, right? It's yeah. Right when we approach things, allowing them to take the time they take. And building in the space for that, then we can have these really rich experiences, right? The most trouble that you'll get into in Mercury retrograde is when you develop an extreme sense of urgency about something has to happen right now. Right. Part of what we learn in Mercury retrogrades is it really doesn't need to happen right now. Yeah. Very little. Right. Very little. And right. You're still going to have to do some things, right? Like life doesn't stop um, with mercury retrograde. So, you know, it's going forward and doing those things. um, But on, you know, giving them a little bit of breathing room. Right.
0: Right. And I think, you know, I forget, I always... Uh, what's her name? Caroline, Caroline Casey. Caroline Casey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember. She said something a couple of years ago when I was at Norwalk, and she said that planets in retrograde are on a vision quest to find their true nature, um, mm-hmm. and that really struck me because, of course, I think the other thing that's happening with any of these planets, you know we could kind of say that maybe the autopilot is also to some extent, the like superficial shadow expression <laughs> of an archetype mm-hmm. too, right? Like Mercury is uh, the psychopomp and is supposed to be really kind of sensitive and open and uh, capable of translating messages, you know, from one world to the mm-hmm. other and sort of like working its way through you know, the underworld to the earth and back again. And when we're so manic and so distracted and like overly efficient and busy, there is no way that we can possibly embody or learn the full capabilities of the archetype as well. Um, yeah, And so the retrograde is like doing two things. I feel like it's sort of asking us to slow down and reflect, but also it's giving us an opportunity to learn about It's true nature um, and sort of all the different facets and sides of what it represents.
1: Yeah. And I think not only it's, but our our specific relationship to that archetype and to that part of our lives to kind of bring it into this more relational space of like, Yeah. I mean, Mercury also doesn't retrograde in a vacuum. It retrogrades through a specific part of your chart. Right, That's going to be more or less significant depending on the year. We have three Mercury retrogrades a year. So one of those is going to be happening in an angular space in your chart and be more obvious. There's a number of ways that we can talk about how they might be more or less significant in a chart. But yeah, it's asking us to review these specific areas of our lives. And that yeah. um it reminds me of something that my father used to say, um, and my father is the opposite of you, has um has Mercury and Pisces on his Pisces South node. <laughs> That's awesome. Um But ended up being a lawyer, so Mm. a very – a songwriter turned lawyer. Um, But he talks about depression as being a wildfire Mm. that kind of moves through the mind and kind of burns up the busyness. Yeah. And I think – I mean – especially the inner planet retrogrades, but Mercury specifically, it's kind of like, it helps us prioritize by kind of constricting our ability to do everything. Right. Um, It's a kind of clarification process. And I think, right, I mean, Freud talked about, Depression and grief as periods of healthy introversion, and I think we we have retrograde planets um, behave um, with this kind of introversion because they're not so concerned with the world around us. They're more concerned with inner life and how things are functioning there. And so it's kind of this call to go inward and and prioritize those spaces and and that can be you know sometimes it can look like nothing is happening on the surface, or we're frustrated because outwardly things aren't happening, and that's really this kind of, this kind of calling yeah. to go inward and rearrange some things
0: totally yeah i I think. I always, I always think about drama of the gifted child when speaking about the, the busyness and the distractedness and like that grandiosity is just as much of an escape from ourselves as like, you know, I mean, I think I like to distinguish between like grief and depression. Cause I feel like sometimes depression is also quite stagnant. Um, but yeah, that grandiosity sure. is equally as stagnant as it relates to exploring ourselves and knowing ourselves, um, And we live in this like very extroverted culture that um, glamorizes like workaholism and uh, glamorizes being distracted and busy all the time and constantly moving and like having a hundred side hustles in addition to the regular hustle. Even that word is like a great example of this. Um, And it's, it's difficult sometimes for us to recognize how much we're escaping ourselves by... Moving as quickly as the culture promotes is healthy.
1: Totally. And how, you know, nothing is going to stop us faster than tripping over ourselves. <laughs> right. Yeah. Which is Mercury kind of, yeah. I mean, Mercury, as you said, as the psychopomp, being like, listen to the soulful underworlds. You don't want to reach a point where you're moving so fast that you don't, because. Right. Um, then you will forget everything that you're connected to. Right. Um, and I think that Mercury, you know, Mercury goes retrograde more than any other planet. And right there, obviously, astronomy, astronomical, which is <laughs> reasons for that. Yeah. But, right, when we tie it back into the inner world and the relational space and psychology, it's our minds that need to do the most kind of grounding and checking
0: in, especially
1: in our culture. For sure.
0: Um, I want to talk about uh, Mercury retrograde in a birth chart. So if you are born during a period of time and Mercury is retrograde, but I realized we didn't um, talk specifically about why is it that we're just talking about these three planets and their retrograde. Um, I think, another thing that, uh, happens in pop astrology is that there's a lot of focus on the outer planet retrogrades, which, um, both of us don't, (laughs) Whitney just rolled her eyes for for those of you that couldn't see. Um, and yeah, like, uh, before we get deeper into this, just sort of talk briefly about why we are not talking about the outer planet retrogrades and how they are different from these inner ones.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So the outer planet retrogrades, which we'll kind of say is anything beyond Mars, or um, kind of including Mars, even though it's beyond the Earth. Um, once you get to Jupiter, Saturn, and then all the way through the outer planets, they spend a lot of time in retrograde. Um We kind of include Mars in the inner planet retrogrades because of all of the planets, Mars spends Mars goes retrograde the least and spends the least amount of time, yeah, um, in retrograde. So tends to be pretty significant. The outer planets, going up to Pluto, Pluto spends forty four percent of the time in retrograde. And, you know, Pluto's going to move forward maybe two and a half degrees in a year and then retrograde back two degrees. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, it might not, but don't quote me on that, but it's it's around that, you know, so it's inching forward and retrograding back. And it's, you know, when we're talking about Pluto, we're talking about forces that affect generations that are much more transpersonal least in the way that I interpret it, I use traditional rulerships and kind of lean Hellenistic. Um, So an evolutionary astrologer might have different things to say about it, but I don't take them as hugely significant because, again, they're these kind of slower moving planets, especially Neptune, Uranus, and Pluto um, don't have rulerships in traditional astrology, so they're not going to be affecting different houses or areas of life in the same way. Mm -hmm. Um, and there are just these kind of, I take them as periods of introversion, but when you're talking about something that moves very slowly, that's just kind of, you know,
0: the natural state ebb and flow. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, totally. Um, yes. Agreed. Uh, Yeah.
1: I, I, I will say, though, I do kind of treat them, the outer planet retrogrades differently. Once we get into kind of more complicated techniques in astrology, like I did notice a huge shift in my life when Saturn stationed stationed direct in my progress chart. Mm -hmm. So I have Saturn retrograde natally at around 26 years old. It's stationed direct. And yeah. Yeah. I changed my relationship with Saturn a lot at that moment, but that's kind of, that's, that's a larger period of time and a different yeah. kind of experience than kind of yearly. Totally.
0: Right. Exactly. Yeah. 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 No, I, I see it similarly. Um, so back to Mercury, <laughs> I just wanted to make sure we got that in. Um, so if someone has, if someone is born with uh, Mercury and retrograde. So what that means for those of you that don't understand is Mercury and these other planets are all in certain points in the sky, uh, and go retrograde at certain points. And we could very well have been born during a period of time when Mercury was Mm -hmm. retrograde, which means that, uh, natally in our natal chart, um, we have Mercury retrograde. Uh, how do you describe that for people?
1: Well, I think at a most basic level, all other things being equal, generally there's a story about finding their voice um, in the lifetime. Often communication, whether, you know, literal, sometimes people, if it's in a really obvious place, have like a speech impediment um, as a child or something, but um, have a hard time finding confidence in their intellect or their ability to communicate their ideas. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: I think, you know, I've heard evolutionary astrologers talk about like, there's a karmic thing that you need to learn about your voice. I think probably, um, you know, the entire chart is karmic. Um, But I also think that there can be a kind of slower pace to the thinking and speaking. And I think that that can um, leave people with mercury retrograde natally feeling a little bit out of sync with the dominant culture. Mm -hmm. And there's a kind of natural restfulness and there's a kind of hominess in mercury retrograde periods um, when you have it natally because it just... um, it's more resonant with your experience and kind of the complicated nature of figuring out um how to do mercurial things. Yeah. And that's, you know, it's really going to depend on where mercury is in your chart, the role that it plays, which sign it's in, how well it's doing anyway, right? There could there are more complicated mercury retrogrades to navigate and easier ones. Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think often that, that, and this I think applies to all of the, the retrogrades, uh, natally, you know, like I know when I teach a lot of people astrology who are just learning it for the first time and they have a planet in retrograde that immediately they think, oh, it's like fucked up and (laughs) it doesn't work. Or, um, and actually I think in my experience, even if there was some kind of more potent journey, let's say with Mercury of finding your voice that the journey and the exploration itself actually leads often to like a very potent mercurial Mm -hmm. experience. Um, and I think also like, you know, as far as what's happening in the sky too, like this concept of it getting closer to the earth Mm -hmm. as well, like it's very bright and it's, prominent. And it's, um, like in that case, I think we can also see the, the significance of the planet and that it's not broken or, you know, it's not that you don't know how to communicate, but often that your relationship with whatever the archetype is that we're talking about could be, could feature far more prominently. Um, yeah.
1: Yeah. Right. I mean, you, you have a kind of more profound journey with that archetype. Yeah. And that can take us a lot farther. This is reminding me of discussions that come up around planetary rulerships. And so people being like, oh, I have this planet in rulership. Great. It functions in this fairly straightforward way, right. in a kind of autopilot way. And people feeling bad or worrying when they have a planet in detriment so a planet in the opposite sign from its rulership or in fall in the opposite sign of its exaltation, when really you get to encounter that planet in a deeply relational way and kind of learn it from the beginning because it doesn't function in such a straightforward way, right? You actually build the skills around that planetary archetype rather than kind of relying on, um, on talent that you were born with that can kind of make us lazy in the places of our lives that are easier.
0: For sure. Yeah. And I also want to mention that I would recommend people Google, uh, the planetary retrogrades for whatever year they were born because, even if you weren't born with a planet in retrograde, it could have gone retrograde or stationed direct like the day before, or the day after you were born, mm-hmm. um, which is definitely the case for me. Mars uh, went retrograde 10 days after I was born. So I was basically born with it stationing. It was still um, and about to uh, go retrograde or look as if it was at least. Uh, and I think that's also quite significant and not something that you might see right away in your birth chart, but something that you can lean into. Totally. Yeah.
1: Yeah, totally. Because a stationing planet is going to emphasize that archetype tremendously. Totally. Um, yeah, I have both Venus and Saturn stationing, uh, direct in my chart. And yeah. kind of being caught between those two, right? Um, feels very relevant. Yeah,
0: um, yeah. And and maybe also we can briefly mention like uh, planetary retrogrades. I mean, this is all very relative to a natal chart, but uh, pretty much relatively certainly, if you are like a Virgo or a Gemini rising, and Mercury mm-hmm. is your um, ruling planet the the uh, planetary ruler of your chart that its retrograde periods its transits in general but it, and mm-hmm. as as well as its retrograde periods are going to potentially affect you more significantly than someone else
1: yeah yeah so and and I think we also learn a tremendous amount about what it we get kind of the core significations of what it means to be a virgo rising or a gemini rising from those retrograde periods yep. there's a quality of both those signs where they're always learning something new integrating something new their virtues are curiosity their ability to ask potent questions and i think we see that in that their the ruler of their chart goes retrograde 3 times a year every year yeah. they kind of are these master lifelong learners and apprentices and especially virgo rising because often the midheaven is in gemini so you get that kind of double emphasis for sure And it's true for if your luminaries are in those signs too, but um, maybe not as much.
0: Yes. All right. Let's talk about Mars a little bit.
1: Yeah, let's talk about Mars. (laughs) So Mars is in this – Mars retrogrades are really kind of an anomaly. Um, We can kind of lump Venus and Mercury together and the outer planets – Kind of resonate in the same way. And then Mars is, is tricky because Mars moves at kind of the most similar pace to the sun. And so for the outer planets, and now I'm including Mars in that, we're going to have their retrogrades when they are the farthest away that they get from the sun. Um, so the midpoint of their retrogrades are going to be when they're in opposition with the sun. So when they're 180 degrees from the sun. So they're going to look in the sky and in our charts very different. Mars, because of its cycle, is going to go retrograde about once every, I think it's about two years. Yeah. So we have the fewest amount of mars retrogrades and when it does it's retrograde for 10 weeks so that's a pretty significant amount of time yeah um but you know if you are um if you're looking at a decade mars is going to spend the least amount of time retrograde and go retrograde the fewest amount of times cuz the rest of the outer planets it's going to be at least it's going to be once a year, a good portion of every year. And then Venus goes retrograde every 19 months. Mercury goes retrograde every three months. And Mars, you know, it's closer to 25 months. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, yeah. And, and when, when we're talking about the planetary retrogrades, what, what kind of needs to go back and be revisited is the core significations of that planet. So do you want to talk about Mars?
0: <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. So Mars has a lot to do with our will um, and our ability to like take action and move forward. Uh, I sort of distinguish Venus as like core needs and Mars as like more wants. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And really just desire, I think, uh, those with a very prominent Mars are often quite in touch with what they desire and are quite capable of going after it kind of at all costs, sometimes dangerously, (laughs) uh, and sometimes burning bridges along the way in order to get there if necessary. Um, but it's Mm -hmm. very, it's definitely forward moving. Like it's an arrow and a point and, um, Yeah, progress in in all its different fashions, I think. It's sort of that inner drive, um, which of course can be sometimes aggressive and um, self-centered and (laughs) selfish, uh, which is of course at times great and at other times not so great. Um, And yeah, I don't know if you talk about this at all, but I definitely relate the Mars retrograde to like the height of the hero's journey, like the battle point. Um, and, uh, I'm not using the right words now I'm forgetting what it is, but, uh, that sort of like center point, like, (laughs) um, -hmm. what needs to get done? What am I fighting for kind of a moment? And it's quite intense. Um, and I think as a Mars ruled person with a like crazy, ridiculous, strong Mars, uh, I often feel like I exist in that battle, like at all times, um, and certainly during during uh, Mars retrogrades, it's quite heightened. But I literally feel like I'm on a battlefield, and I think that's like, what are you fighting for? Um, mm-hmm. Is a key phrase. For yeah, me.
1: yeah. The question that I always kind of take in heading into mars retrogrades is what is worth fighting for yeah because you're gonna take some losses i actually wrote an article about mars retrogrades before the mars retrograde in aries that happened at the end of 2020 and we can look back in history and see right there's during the retrograde period sometimes we can see see kind of like the rules of engagement get disbanded. So you'll see kind of the peak of the worst human behavior during Mars retrogrades. I mean, if you go back and look um, in military history about great battles that happened during Mars retrogrades, we see some pretty significant stories. I mean, for one thing, the bloodiest battle in American history, the Battle of Antietam during the Civil War happened um, right at the beginning of Mars retrograde in Aries.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> um, but we also see that similarly linked to particularly gruesome parts of genocides, <laughs> um, and so there's this kind of like the 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 rules for fighting um, get suspended. The siege of Leningrad happened during Mars retrograde. Hmm. Um, Just some examples. You can find so many, but it really leads us, right? It's this period where we kind of are like committing total war (laughs) um, to figure out, okay, what are the rules of engagement? And do we need, you know, what happens when the warrior goes rogue. And some people are going to experience the, the kind of defeat of the warrior, right? It isn't a battle that you go into guaranteed that you're going to win. Mm-hmm. And right, there's going to be a point personally or collectively where we're going to have to make a decision about how far are we going to go in this Mars area. Mm-hmm. And yeah, similarly, I associate Mars as really the most individualistic planet Um, I think it kind of shares that with the sun but the sun is the center of everything the sun is kind of permanently in communication whereas one of the gifts of Mars is its ability to separate itself um, from other things and sometimes we need to do that right even in a world of all love and light (laughs) Um, our ability to stand outside and um, speak the truth is, is kind of a Mars virtue. And I even think about, right. Doesn't Jesus say in one of the gospels, like I came with the sword. I came to, (laughs) I did like not come to make everything good again. I, I came to say divisive things.
0: (laughs) Right. Yes. And I think similarly to Saturn, um, culturally speaking, we don't like honor or yeah, we don't honor the malefics enough. I don't think. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think we try to repress, you know, like we try so much of our lives, I think are like trying to put these like monsters in the closet and hoping that they don't come out, (laughs) you know? Um, and I think this can be seen in like our inability to set boundaries, um, our inability mm-hmm. to slow down our shame around sexuality, our shame around what it is that we desire, both sexually and otherwise. Uh, mm-hmm. we think that we can put our kind of independence and our drive and our self-preservation to the side. Um, because it's like a little more taboo and, you know, not as accepted as like martyrdom. um,
1: yeah, another Mars thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think of of your outer your out of sect malefic, so for day charts that's Mars and for night charts that's Saturn, um, as kind of our greatest spiritual teacher because. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think so I I have kind of well, I have literally the opposite Mars of you. I have Mars in Libra in its detriment, in the ninth house, at the very end of the Mars cycle. So, um, so metaphorically, just this very old man <laughs> Mars, this kind of like you know King Theoden, like pre getting Sauron sucked out of him. Okay, Lord of the Rings. <laughs> yeah. um, this kind of like weak old Mars, and I spend the most time with. Asking myself, what does a healthy Mars look like? How do I set these boundaries in a in a way that creates harmony? Right, Mars Mars in Libra. How do I how do I create beauty and harmony and truth that lives up to my ninth house ideals through the energy of Mars mm. um, in a way that you know that spends. It takes a lot more time and intention and relational work than than Saturn which functions in a pretty straightforward sometimes equally problematic way yeah. right? <laughs> in my chart.
0: Yeah, and I I think what you're saying about, you know, to create balance and harmony exists across the board because we have Aries opposite Libra all the time. Um, And certainly as a Libra moon, my ascendant in Aries is, is directly opposite my moon. I'm constantly (laughs) on that seesaw, but I think that's Mm -hmm. the point, right? That like, I remember prior to my Saturn return, prior to learning astrology, that I was over prioritizing my moon and Libra. I mean, by (laughs) such a long shot. Um, Mm -hmm. because it felt so much more comfortable to just like have that balance and tranquility, even if it meant stuffing my entire being into a closet, it was like, well, at least like, this is giving me the idea of calm and balance. Um, and then sort of opening that Mars door and letting all of that energy out was, um, like shocking, um, and overstimulating and, you know, kind of, I kind of knew it, right? Like there was a subconscious understanding that I'd kind of put that part of myself aside and what needed to happen was letting it out, which was like very fiery and like burned me up for a little while there. And I was like really angry and aggressive and it wasn't great. Um, But ultimately, you know, we use or can use Mars in order to create actually like healthy, aligned and integrated balance and... That's Absolutely. Yeah.
1: And I think, right, like letting him out of the closet and having him burn you up a little bit, right? The the stuff that we are trying to kind of keep under wraps, we don't ever – it doesn't ever mature. And so when we encounter it for the – you know, it comes out in these really, really raw ways.
0: Yeah.
1: That – burn you or burn other people, right? So it's, like, even, even my Mars that, like, is in Libra and wants everything to be good, um, if I ignore him for a long time, then, then there are explosions where, right. you, you know, he's equally as aggressive and maybe, and maybe more so because um, it weaponizes the intellect. It weaponizes a sense of, of fairness, um in that way so right when when we develop relationships with these planets which retrogrades are such potent times to do that because we you know because collectively and personally we are um in periods of kind of like going to couples therapy with that archetype (laughs) yeah yeah um and usually, right, I mean, to use that metaphor, we start going to therapy because things are not working. And so, right, sometimes the periods of retrogrades, for sure, they can be difficult. Something is not working, but that's, you know, we can either white knuckle our way through it and not change anything and just stuff it in the closet and wait for the next one, if that's even possible, or we can sit down, kind of press pause on forward motion, and go in and develop a relationship that um, that lets things flow and grow, and yeah, um, yeah remain um, remain in the living world together.
0: Right. Yeah, and I I just want to elaborate on your point about like recognizing like something's not working, you know, and I think these retrograde periods, they're not making something not work and nor are they creating the thing that's not working out of nowhere. It's just truly illuminating what hasn't been working <laughs> the whole time. <laughs> um, yeah. And that like, that's I think the biggest loss that we come up against when we look at the planets as like poking us or doing something to us, um, when really we should be thanking them and honoring them and asking them questions like, okay, uh, and I think we'll talk about this a lot with, with Venus as well, but really looking at like, what is it? Can you please help me to see what is it that I need to stop doing or something that I need to adjust or do differently and um, allow me to bring this subconscious understanding that something's off to the surface in a way that it can no longer be ignored. Um. Yeah.
1: And even just, you know, as a, as a psycho spiritual exercise, ask the planet itself. Um, Right. I think we can also fall into this space of, I'm not saying that, I don't like making metaphysical claims for other people. (laughs) I'm an astrologer that does not believe in astrology (laughs) in any kind of way that I would (laughs) defend it from any physics standpoint. I'm never going to do that. But, but yeah, asking, asking the planet to be our teacher of going to Venus school or Mars school or Mercury school. And, um, Right. I mean, yeah. we we kind of we get really defended in uh, in the ways that we navigate our lives, um, in the sense of not this. You know, the questions we ask um, define us, but we're probably more defined in our life by the questions that we don't ask, the stuff that we don't have any curiosity about, or. Um, you know, that we're not moved to try and discover. And obviously that can't be everything. It's not a sin to not ask a question about something, but, um, but it does keep whatever area that is stale and unmoving. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I think we can probably jump into talking about Venus, but, you know, again, uh, as far as like Mars retrograde or Mars retrograde in a birth chart that, you know there's a potency here <laughs> and that it's not about something going wrong or getting fucked up and, and or that the you know something needs to go wrong right like how do we learn if not mm-hmm. through making mistakes and from being aware that we made the mistake to begin with right that you know i think i've in my life i think from an outsider perspective like especially growing up that like the the parents of all my friends saw me as like the trouble troublemaker or like the bad kid. Um, and it, I wasn't even doing anything that extreme, but I think as a result of like taking more risks and kind of like saying, fuck it more often that, you know, things got screwed up a few times and that that was not, Mm -hmm. that was not like a reflection on my capacity to, you know, be responsible or to live. But, you know, when we, if we're trying to explore, you know, our, the, the outer limits of our communicative capacity or the outer limits of our desire to get what we want, what comes with that are some missteps, uh, Mm -hmm. and some mistakes and some errors and that that should be more seen as like a good thing and not a bad thing.
1: Yeah. Yeah, totally. And you know, in in therapy and in relationship building, you know, solid solid relationships that you can rely on where there's trust and love are not ones where there isn't ruptures right. and conflict where there aren't <laughs> empathic failures, yeah. right? We we build so much more trust in how we repair things how we repair relational missteps than in never making them. Right. Right? It's almost you have to encounter people at their edge, and you have to encounter yourself at the edge of you in order to become anything else. There's a great line from a David White poem, just beyond yourself is where you need to be half a step into self-forgetting and the rest restored by what you'll meet. Love that. And it's heady, but it's right. It's like, yes, everything that you will need to be for your life is, um, you're not there yet. Not in this kind of like Virgo hell of the endless treadmill towards perfection, but right. It's on the edge of yourself that you become yourself. Yeah. Um,
0: Yeah. Yeah. Totally. And I think like, yeah, I see so. I feel, and maybe I'm just super sensitive to it because my Mars, but so often I just like people are standing at the edge of the cliff and they've got the parachute and like all the tools and all the training and they're waiting to like not be fearful or for someone to tell them it's okay. And like, you mm-hmm. know, we don't, we don't get to learn the the lessons of the hero's journey without doing it and without taking on the risk Mm -hmm. and the fear and, and walking through the fire like that, it, that in itself is the lesson. It's not supposed to be easy. It's not supposed to be handed to us. We need to leave one Island before we know where the other one is, or if one even exists, you know, like that in and of itself is the point. Uh, And I think that in all of the retrograde periods, but I think, you know, yeah. For all of them, that that's the energy of it. It's like, jump off the cliff. It's okay. like Or it won't be, but just do it because otherwise you're never going to move again.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think that kind of stuckness, um, yeah, that's where the, that's where the fear is. Um, Yeah, I'm thinking about something that I think Austin Kopic said about Mars retrogrades probably a few years ago in, in a forecast episode for the astrology podcast. But he was talking about if you're going into a knife fight, you need to understand that you're probably going to get cut. Right. You can't like be paralyzed with fear of getting cut every moment of the knife fight. Right? It's kind of like, you know, which is sometimes, you know, sometimes we're sitting there and we're kind of like paralyzed with fear about like whatever horrible thing we think might happen. But if we just kind of play the tape in our mind, even if that thing happens, it doesn't actually stop the story of your life. Right. For the most part, Mm -hmm. right? In most situations, the worst thing that the thing that we're afraid of is not literal death, (laughs) right? We're afraid of being let down by people. We're afraid of failing. We're afraid of what if I try and it doesn't work. We're afraid of, you know, all of these kind of, I kind of classify them all as like Saturnine fears. We're afraid that we're not going to measure up or that other people are going to let us down. And we find when we kind of play the tape is that that's not the end of the story. The end of the story is the paralysis that fear brings. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I think either we're afraid of not measuring up or afraid of the responsibility that comes with power and measuring up, you know, like, I think at least that was my experience that I forget. I always forget what the exact quote is by Marion Williamson, but like that we're so often not afraid of failing but afraid of the work that need, that comes with and the responsibility that comes with power and self-awareness and uh mm-hmm. you know there is there is that that concept what is it like spider-man with great power comes great responsibility yeah uh, I think that's relevant as well
1: Totally, totally. And then, you know, in Mars retrogrades, you're testing your power. And and hopefully you get humbled. I mean, I think the thing about the hero's journey is that even if you defeat the dragon at the moment of, like, the peak experience of the hero's journey, you don't return without humility, mm-hmm. right? And kind of that... Um, that line that Gandalf says to Bilbo before they head out in The Hobbit, you know, you might not return. And even if you do, you won't be the same. Yeah. Um, yeah. So even if you kind of win on paper, um, you become something, something new.
0: Yeah, I highly... Uh, recommend I always play this in my Lunar Circle course when we learn about um, Aries and Mars. Uh, there's this dancer that I love. Her name is Emma Portner. And if you go on YouTube and just search Emma Port Emma, uh, Portner, uh, a hero with a thousand faces, um, someone <laughs> choreographed this dance for her. That's all about the hero's journey. And I think it's Like I can't watch it without crying maybe because I just have such a fucking strong Mars and relate to it on such a deep soul level. Um, but it's really, really well done. And, uh, I think very vividly without words and just in dance represents the journey of Mars overall. And I think it's quite clear in that piece to find the retrograde, the retrograde battle, um, as well. And, and I think exemplifies all of this coming back with humility and all these people kind of saying, Oh my God, you're like, you're amazing. And you're like, uh, like I just went through hell. Like, <laughs> I mean, sure. CV as a hero, but like that was really fucked up. Um, so yeah, if you're interested in Mars, I definitely recommend that. Um, okay. So let's talk about Venus retrogrades. Uh, what is, she doing in the sky when she goes retrograde
1: so from to use the kind of astronomy language it's pretty similar to Mercury in that Venus is getting about as far away from the sun as she gets and then she stations retrograde and comes back to get kind of purified in the heart of the sun. Um, And then is kind of reborn. And so the Venus retrograde periods and Venus's cycle relate to her as the morning star and the evening star as well. She's going to, um, she is going to go retrograde from the period of being the evening star, which is generally thought of as being the kind of most mature Venus in the kind of crone phase. And she enters kind of um, her death and rebirth cycle through the retrograde. And then post retrograde, she becomes the morning star again Mm. and
0: um, reaches kind of her maiden phase and the cycle continues from there. Yes. Um, yeah. And something to also look up for yourselves is whether you were born with Venus as a morning star or an evening star, um, which can be quite interesting (laughs) as well. Mm -hmm. Um, and obviously, especially if you were born with Venus, uh, retrograde, So let's dispel some myths about what happens during Venus retrograde periods and talk about how we like to approach them instead.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So the big one about Venus retrograde is, well, I think kind of the big two, and they're totally related. One is everyone's going to break up. Yeah. (laughs) And... (laughs) And the second one, which is similar, is don't get in a relationship. Yeah. Um, And I think they kind of, you know, the absolutism of them is where we find kind of the biggest issue, right? So... Venus, when Venus goes retrograde, we're kind of interrupting our normally scheduled programming around Venusian things. So that's things we value, our access to resources, which is money, our relationships, um, especially our relationships to women, whatever Mm. gender you identify from Venus is specifically the more femme side of things. Um, our capacity to get closer and to be attracted to people. And, um, you know, the myth around everyone breaking up is because, right. As you were, you know, maybe the way that you're relating is not, is not appropriate anymore. It doesn't reflect on where you are, but that doesn't mean that we just get rid of things that don't work. Right. right. That doesn't, you can't just, Right hence um, yeah hence the the couples counseling right even even if we reach the edge of something and we say you know I really can't do this anymore we that doesn't mean we have to completely exit a relationship um, right it means we need to create boundaries around what that relationship looks like mm-hmm. but Venus retrogrades, where it's being reborn, is kind of a beautiful crucible for doing that. Right. Because it's a period of connecting authentically with what we value.
0: Yeah. Right. And again, to sort of bring in the point that, like, if during a period of Venus retrograde, you do break up or do have the realization that something's not working you know it's never because of venus going retrograde and right. um clearly that problem has existed for quite some time and uh yeah i think uh, you know i sort of when i look at the the zodiac in general um i always kind of think about the libra to scorpio transition as a very venus retrograde transition mm-hmm. in its healthiest <laughs> mature form mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. that there can be a lot of like when we first you know like thinking back to like our first crushes and like earliest experiences with being in relationship i mean they're like just full of fairy tale nonsense and fantasy and delusion and projection. And it's a very kind of unrealistic version of relating that I think can often find itself within the Libra archetype, um, because it's all about balance and perfection and there's like no problem and everything's working well, which is like an impossibility. Um, And that in order to actually relate in a mature, healthy, aligned, authentic fashion, that there is a lot of death um, that needs to occur in ourselves and like recognizing where our relational patterns come from and going to therapy by ourselves or with our partners or both and really doing that kind of underworld journey. And I don't know, I'm, I'm curious to hear what you think, but I think that so many of our, um, at least as far as Venus relates to relationships, our issue is that is this sort of unrealistic, um, sort of morning star, uh, immature version of what it means to relate and be in relationship and that in order to come into a more aligned partnership, that we'd need to go retrograde and die and um, be reborn.
1: Yeah. I mean, Venus retrograde is such a world. And I feel like specifically in my chart, I was born with Venus retrograde in my seventh house. <laughs> so she's in the space of relating. She's retrograde. She's in the sign of Leo (laughs) and then she's square to Pluto and (laughs) she's so powerful and in my chart can be so destructive Mm -hmm. in a way that, um, yeah, I mean the fantasies and the fantasies coming apart, um, have been quite potent in a way that, yeah, we spend a lot of a lot of time re getting to know that archetype and and asking the question, "What is a healthy relationship?" I mean, I I kind of came of age, so to speak, like became a, a conscious being, not in any kind of like spiritual sense, but just like as a child. Mm. Around eight or nine, when I first started remembering, like having, I don't know, consistent thoughts about things yeah. <laughs> in the middle of my parents' divorce. And then, and I talked a lot with both of them from a young child through all the way, all the way through that. And now I'm a marriage and family therapist, and it all kind of centers around this question of, of this retrograde Venus and what are we doing in relationships and what is the right way to be in relationships and how do we ask for what we want and how do we do it in a way that, you know, is going to be supportive of other people and let us know and how do we create boundaries and um, yeah, it's um, Venus retrograde periods really kind of open up the, the Pandora's box of, of relational stuff. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I think it's quite interesting because both of us, uh, have very similar stories, um, specifically for the Venus retrograde that occurred in Scorpio and station direct in Libra in 2018. um, I think you met your partner, like right as Venus went retrograde, like the day it, yeah. Um, And I met my partner the day she stationed direct (laughs) on my moon. Um, And I, you know, it's interesting. And I want to talk more about this because I know this is what we both did. And I, I didn't actually get any instruction about this, which is really fascinating to me. Like nobody did I. Yeah. Nobody told me like, this is how to approach a Venus retrograde, which is odd too, because at the time we were like, or yeah, I was finishing up the apprenticeship and like had learned quite a bit about Venus. But I think when we, I think this is again, a very like Libra and ridiculous um, idea that like, when we want a relationship or a partnership to come in, that we like are, we ask for it. Uh, And we ask for that thing that we want, or we try to manifest that thing. And for Mm -hmm. whatever reason, approaching this Venus retrograde, because I knew it was very significant to my chart, she was going to station direct on my moon, like in go over my Pluto, training my own Venus. Like it was very, it was definitely a thing. And I feel like, I mean, talk about a vision quest, like, I, for whatever reason, decided that my intention was to ask Venus to bring everything into my life that needed to be let go of and not jump ahead to what that might open up the space for, mm-hmm. but to purely 100% focus on the death. And um, I did so many rituals and I worked so closely and I was ruthless. I mean, and I think that's an interesting aspect of Venus and Venus retrograde to the sort of ruthlessness mm-hmm. of like trusting yourself to know what it is you need to let go of. Uh, and then mm-hmm. seeing it very clearly and, and actually walking away, which doesn't mean it's easy, <laughs> um, but doing that. And it's, it's, it was really interesting just recently to hear that you did the exact same thing.
1: Yeah, so maybe we should just tell those stories and then kind of break them down in terms of Venus retrograde a little bit to kind of get at these core pieces.
0: Um, Yeah, why don't you go first? Okay, so so
1: I guess first I want to say that one of the core features of having Venus retrograde in a natal chart is a kind of ambivalence. Right? If Venus shows us kind of like what we're attracted to and what we want and what we value, having Venus retrograde in your natal chart um, can confuse that issue. Like I don't know, I don't know <laughs> what I want. Sometimes I want this. I don't know. And and that's I'm speaking about it a little bit flippantly, but I mean it in a really really deep way. There's often a core set of values. That are unchanging, but what they what they look like in the world, um, in in terms of what what we're pursuing or what we think we want is is quite obscure, mm. usually from ourselves. And so, I had I've been working with Venus retrogrades a little bit, and I noticed this thing where. If I was really ready to kind of move on into a different way of relating, that Venus retrogrades, I actually met people that ended up being really, really important in my life. So I was kind of aware of that. I knew that Venus was going to go retrograde, and this was the fall of 2018 in Scorpio, which is my 10th house. And so I was thinking of it just as, you know, the 10th house has so much to do with who we want to be in the world and and what we really want our work to be and um these kind of big, very obvious visible things, and so I had this sense that that this Venus retrograde was going to be potent, and I had um I had gotten out of this relationship that was very. That was very just quintessential my Venus retrograde. Um, It was kind of a relationship that kind of we liked each other, we were attracted to each other, but we both kind of knew it wasn't the right relationship. And there was these kind of like hot and cold moments. And eventually um, this person that I was dating ended up cheating on me. But even when it happened, I wasn't, like, too surprised because in some ways it was just the moment where Venus was going to call bullshit (laughs) on, like, why are you guys doing this? Like, neither of you, like, neither of us were um, really wanted to be in this relationship. so. I spent some time before Venus went retrograde just thinking about that and thinking about the ways that kind of I was sabotaging myself in the sense of like, if I really wanted to be honest about the relationship that I wanted for my life, the relationship that I had just had was was so far from that in every way. And that that my ambivalence was my desire to keep myself safe. I don't want to risk anything, so I'm just going to be with these people that I know, you know, that I may like and respect as people, but are not the right people for me to be in relationships with. And, and relationships that, don't, that are not... Um, That are not what I want them to be. And I think part of that for me was acknowledging that relationship plays a huge role in my life. I have a stellium of planets in my seventh house and I have a retrograde Venus square to Pluto. Like I can't – like emotionally I can kind of do casual relationships, but that's not – the way that relationship functions in my life. And so if I'm avoiding that, then I'm avoiding much bigger things. And so I kind of, I looked dead at that Pluto Venus square in my chart, which has functioned and, you know, sometimes pretty dramatic, inappropriate ways of relating um, can make relationships feel really, really high stakes. Um, and I said, okay, if, you know, if I'm ever going to have a relationship that I want, I'm going to spend some time and honor really how how powerful and how potent this Venus is instead of trying to think like, oh, she's like, it's fine. It's nothing. Like, mm-hmm. I, I don't have a Venus. I don't want anything. Like, <laughs> I don't have needs. I don't have desires. I don't have an ideal relationship. I'm just going to be easygoing, and that will make it so easy for people to love me and then I'll find my Leo Venus <laughs> inside, yeah, um that has very strong desires and expectations, and I was just being dishonest, really, at a core level about that, and so what i when I was looking at this upcoming Venus retrograde, I decided, I am going to surrender this ambivalence to you, like. As kind of a gift to Venus, I am going to start taking you, my desires, seriously. And I'm going to give up the ambivalence that has kind of kept me safe and risk-averse this whole time. And then... um, And then a couple weeks before, I got on Tinder and I matched with this person and I was thinking you know whatever this is it's too on the nose like it's not going to be anything and um and then when he wanted to meet up not just the day that venus was stationing retrograde but the hour that venus was <laughs> stationing retrograde <laughs> um i was like okay fine And another piece of Venus retrograde, which sometimes causes relationship issues, is that she gets very kind of self-involved. She's not so much reaching out. There is this kind of like isolation that can be a piece of it. And I very much went into that first date like that in Mm -hmm. the sense of (sighs) I was kind of way more into myself than I was really about learning about this other person and but what that meant was that I went into that date not trying to people please without the main aim of getting him to like me right i went in fully as myself we sat down and i just looked him straight in the eye and said what's your story like like start from the beginning I don't care like what your favorite cereal brand is how work was like I need you to give me yeah. your your story from the beginning and that is how intense my Venus is and and then um And then we had had a cocktail and I hadn't had dinner. And I was like, I really need to get some food. Do you want to grab a slice of pizza around the corner? And he said no. And I later learned that was because he didn't eat dairy. But he didn't tell me that at the time. And (laughs) and true Venus retrograde style, I was like, well, that sucks because I'm still hungry. And so I stood there and ate two pieces of pizza just in front of this guy on our first date who wasn't eating anything and he told me like, "Oh yeah, I thought you didn't like me. I thought, there was no way you would do that." <laughs> um. And I left that date kind of thinking like, "Okay, that was fine, but like whatever. That wasn't anything." And then um then a few days after that was the Libra new moon and he messaged me and he was like, "I want to take you out for dinner." And I was like, "I love dinner." <laughs> like Sure. <laughs> and he took me out for dinner. And that was really kind of in those moments um, when I actually came in a more relational way mm. um, and got to know him that I actually started. Um, I was able to kind of notice that I had real feelings. But then what happened for the. So we continued dating and um and you know is he's more than 10 years older than me and so I don't know if it was because of that but um basically we had serious talks like from like the third date you know like are you looking to like get married and have kids one day yeah um to make sure that we were on the same page and so there wasn't this kind of ambivalence of like do I really want to be in a relationship with this person do yeah. we want the same things or not like it's kind of like we got all of that stuff out right away. And for the whole retrograde period, because of our work schedules, we saw each other. We had dinner together like once a week for the entire retrograde period. And it wasn't until Venus Station Direct that we like decided to be in a relationship and stuff. But the... The point of that whole story was that these, right, when Venus goes retrograde and it interrupts our normal relating style, if you've been in a really unhealthy relating style, the interruption of that can be a very good thing. Yeah. And so the end of that story really is now we're married. And guess where his Venus is? It is right on top of my... Of my Pluto squaring my Venus <laughs> in Scorpio. Um, and, you know, people, you know, there's people have myths about like, oh, you don't want any squares in relationship charts. Excuse me. Yes, you do. Because they call out your placements yeah. in ways that you actually explore them and embody them. And Scorpio and Leo work really well together in that they're very, they're very loyal, yeah. both of them. And yeah, and I'm super, super grateful for that, for that experience and that experience with Venus retrograde of being like, you know, stop doing stuff that you don't want that is not right for you. Yeah. And I didn't do it with that intention. In fact, the whole time I was like, this cannot be the guy because like, that is too obvious. This is too, um this is too on the nose. And so just doubted it
0: for, for a while. And yet there it was. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's so much of what, you know, what we need to be doing when it comes to relationships. Like I think in both of our case, like I met this person and I didn't even I had had such a crazy retrograde experience that I didn't even, I had like forgotten that she was stationing direct on my moon still. Like it didn't Mm -hmm. even occur to me. And walking into that situation with like literally like zero expectation whatsoever. And, Mm -hmm. um, And I think that's so key is that when we go into a relationship or try to approach Venus things with that, fantasy projected expectation that that's where we get into a Mm -hmm. lot of trouble. Like we are seeking, um, in a way that clouds our vision. Um, yeah. And my story is quite similar. I think like the, so this was like, what October, November, yeah. November of 2018. And Mm -hmm. that previous, I would say May, after Mm -hmm. getting divorced and like, then I was involved with this guy and it was just so terrible. And then there was the potential of being involved with this other person. And that was really like problematic for so many different reasons. But I I think that may, I had said to myself like, okay, like no more relationships for two years, like get your (laughs) shit together. Like this is not working. Um, and And yet I was still, like, hardcore fantasizing and planning and, like, playing long games around relationships throughout that period of time from May to November. And in November, like, I remember, or I think it was even October before she went retrograde, maybe when she was in her shadow and I went to visit it was like such a Venusian time in all respects, not just relationships, but also about like core needs and where I was going to be living. And I was visiting Colorado Mm -hmm. and I walked into this crystal shop and this woman out of the blue was like, so when are you moving to Colorado? I was like, what, who are you? And how do you know this about me? Um, (laughs) but like took full advantage of her psychic abilities and was like, Oh, tell me more. And, um, (laughs) some <laughs> something she said, totally like not prefacing it within Venus retrograde. Like she was not talking about astrology. I knew the astrology in the back of my head, but she said like, I think you're unclear about where it is you're going in your life or what decision you want to make about it because there's still a lot to be let go of. And she's like, and there's a creek down across the street. And you should go walk over there and sit on a rock and close your eyes and imagine all of what needs to be let go of being washed away by the creek. Um, and after you do all of that, then it will become clear where you want to move and what you want to do and where you're headed. And I like fully did it and walked across the street and sat on that fucking rock and like envisioned all the stuff I needed to let go of. And I went home and I would ordered all this like, Venus magical stuff from sphere and sundry and sat down Mm -hmm. and like read the Orphic hymn to Aphrodite and like fully said like, okay, this is the ticket. Like tell me and show me very clearly in a way that I cannot deny what needs to be let go of. And I swear to you, like that first ritual, I sat down, turned my phone off to do it. I turned my phone back on. And there was a message from an ex, like who I had I was with right after my divorce, a message from this other person that I had been chatting to and involved with, and my mother. All three of them texted me during the 30 minutes I was doing this ritual. Um, and yeah, throughout the whole period, I mean, like, it just became so upsetting to me to watch myself continue to do the things I made a promise to myself I wouldn't continue to do. And right before she stationed direct, I had been evacuated from my house because of a wildfire. And that was also very Venus because I had to literally select and put in my car the things that I needed and wanted Mm -hmm. Um, and what was important Mm -hmm. to me and what wasn't important to me and really figured Mm -hmm. out like there was next to nothing that couldn't be replaced. (laughs) And that whole experience was like, okay, none of this shit matters. Um, but I drove back to my house and it was like the day before she was stationing direct and I was messaging with this one guy, which this had become like such a crisis for me and involved a lot of friends and relationships with women as well. And I sat in my car for probably two hours and I told myself that I would not walk back up the stairs into my house until I had decided and written down exactly what it was that I would never do again, relationally. Mm. Um, And I have Venus conjunct Chiron in cancer, uh, trining Pluto actually. And I think a lot of my story going back to childhood was that I was constantly finding myself, myself in relationships where I had to prove my love or prove my dedication or prove my loyalty or just prove myself. It was this constant, like, don't you see me? you know, why don't you see my expression of love? Why do you keep telling me I don't care about you or love you enough? And I said, I would never again get into a relationship where that was happening. And, um, yeah. And there was such a sort of like and I think ritual was so important to this, but there was such a like tangible, like I'm not walking up the stairs, right? Like I'm not going to do this Mm -hmm. re-entrance until I Mm -hmm. fully let this shit die. And it was really hard and really scary. And I had to like in the car set boundaries with this person in a really kind of like serious way. And, it was just a very like, fuck it, (laughs) like, fuck this stuff. Like I'm fine. Like I'm happy and healthy by myself and I feel fulfilled and walked back into my house and I think it was like two to three days later. So Venus was uh, direct at this point, but still stationed at the same degree at 25 Libra um, and got a message from someone that I'd been communicating with like, For the past year and a half, but with no relational expectation. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. and who I was supposed to, who I had actually reached out to right before the, or not right before the retrograde, but like I had reached out to him 15 days prior, but it was a day before we got evacuated. So I was like, Hey, let's get together. And it was like, Oh shit, wait a second. Like (laughs) everything's on fire. We'll need to postpone this. I literally forgot about it. Cause I, the fucking fire and the shit was so uh, intense and then out of the blue I was just at home and got an email saying like, Hey, do you like steak and red wine? Do you want to come over for dinner? Like I had a friend that was coming over and they canceled. Um, and I happened to live down the street from this person. So it was like very convenient. Um, and yeah, and I don't think it was until the next day maybe that I looked at the chart and I was like, Oh fuck. (laughs) Right. Okay. This is interesting. Um, but yeah, like it's, you know, I think this, I, these two concepts of letting go and letting things Mm -hmm. die and then also having like no expectations, that like those two things and yes to relationships, but almost in my experience to all things in life is what delivers you the thing that you need or want or whatever. Um, But that you can't do that exercise. Like that exercise only works if it's for real, right? Like you can't, you can't act out the severing or you can't act out the not caring and still kind of care. Like you actually and that's only going to happen when you're ready to let it, let it happen. But that's the only way in my mind. Um,
1: yeah. In some ways it's like frustrating when it works. You're like, yeah. <laughs> you're like, no, I was sincere yeah. about this. Um, right. Yeah. I mean, there's this, how, how it feels to me is so much about like shedding These kind of like dead forms of yourself. Yeah. Right? Not, I'm not thinking like snakes. I'm thinking like weird pond insects that like (laughs) leave their entire exoskeletons like stuck to rocks. Yeah. And you're like, okay. (laughs) Because when you shed your entire exoskeleton, that was your safety. Yeah. Right? There's a kind of vulnerability that's part of it, right? You didn't know what was next.
0: Yeah.
1: Right. And I was terrified of admitting what I wanted. I was terrified of the relationship that I wanted. Right. Same. Um <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. Getting as you say like getting what you want asks you to level up. In ways that it's not like, oh, now you get a vacation. Right. <laughs> it's like now you get this whole other set of work that you care more about and you have to work harder for. Right.
0: Yeah. And speaking of working harder, uh, why don't we talk a little bit about the upcoming Venus retrograde in Capricorn? Um. And also talk a little bit about um, our joint workshop that we're going to do around this Venus retrograde.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so we um, are approaching a Venus retrograde period. Uh, Venus went into Capricorn on November 5th And because of her retrograde, she is going to be there, here, for four months. So Venus normally spends, you know, three to five weeks, depending on her speed, in a sign. Mm -hmm. Um, So having her in one sign for four months is... um, We will really get to know Venus in Capricorn. And... So she's entered Capricorn, she's going to station retrogrades on the on December 19th, so kind of just at the solstice, and she's going to be retrograde for 40 days and 40 nights and station direct on January 29th, and then it's going to take her more than a month to go back over those same degrees and um, enter Aquarius on March 5th. Yeah. So that's kind of the time period that we're looking at.
0: Yeah. So we both decided that uh, it might be fun to sort of jointly lead a workshop that spans the retrograde period and work directly with some of you um, to go through this process for yourself. And obviously, depending on your chart, depending what you have in Capricorn, um, you know, this is going to look and feel differently for each person. Uh, and, uh, we're going to give, you know, the whole group, some overall guidance and advice and context, um, and ideas for some rituals to do for yourself. And then also workshop, um, the retrograde specific to your natal chart. And I think the other thing that we, the two of us directly haven't even talked about too, is like Mm -hmm. that I think doing this sort of thing within the context of a community and like a support group (laughs) makes it a lot easier um, because you have people to stay accountable to. And I think even the archetype of Capricorn uh, has a lot of that kind of accountability and hard work built into it. So it feels quite relevant Um, and yeah, we're going to be talking about, like, I want to save some of this for our course too, but we're going to talk about, Mm -hmm. uh, when Venus went retrograde in this part of the sky, um, in, was it 2000, like late 2013, early 2014, I think. Yeah, it was 2013, 2014. It straddled that just like it's doing this year too. Right. So yeah, especially if you guys think back to what was going on in your life over that sort of new year's period into January, um, it's possible that this retrograde will be kind of a ripple on a theme, um, or something totally new and yeah, we're looking for it. It's going to be a small group. I think we're limiting it to 25 people. Um, and we will meet, uh, three three times via zoom on december 11th uh january 8th am i doing this right <laughs> and mm-hmm. february 5th um mm-hmm. uh saturday nights at 6 p.m. um pacific yeah. And yeah, I think I also love that we're going to meet on Saturday night. I think when like normally people are like going out to the bars to try to meet their projected fantasy of a partner that instead mm-hmm. we're going to like sit on Zoom and and do rituals. And
1: <laughs> sacrifice our yeah. desires,
0: yeah, at the
1: altar of Venus and yeah. Capricorn. Yeah, well I think, you know, Venus and Capricorn she is not flippant. She doesn't want kind of tiny things that's not you know, she values things that have sound structure and things um, things that take a long time to build and to get. And yeah. I think we will be really touching a lot of our core values. Um, I think culturally, I think you'll be able to see it collectively and personally during this Venus retrograde. Um, and so, yeah, we wanted to kind of build, you know, when, when we're taking down internal structures, it is so much safer and easier to do when there's some kind of containment like an intentional group or like a therapeutic relationship, Yeah. um, if we take down all of our structure without any containment, we, you know, it's, there's just too much chaos. That doesn't really help at all either. And so our intention in going into this is have one meeting during before the retrograde, during the pre-shadow, mm-hmm. um, where we talk about you know the myths around Venus retrograde where we'll go into the myth of Inanna and talk about different cultures that and different religions that have seasons of fasting and giving up things and how this is not a new idea it's not something that Anya and I just invented out of our minds (laughs) right this is it's an archetypal human thing right um And yeah, talk about, you know, what, what a sacrifice is and how to do it from this place of vulnerability in our hearts and in our lives. And then, um, and then to have some support around actually doing it. So then, um, then we'll meet again in the middle of the retrograde, um, and deepen that and do some sharing and then, and then we'll contain the whole experience by having kind of a wrap up session after Venus has gone, has gone direct, mm-hmm. um, to kind of look at the Venus cycle going forward for the next couple of years, yeah. because she'll go retrograde every 19 months. So we get, we get a long period of her being direct and getting to kind of, um, explore and, um, go through a new cycle of desire and release. Yeah.
0: Yes, totally. And we, since the course will be spread out over such a long period of time, and since we're only meeting live three times, we're also going to create a WhatsApp group for everyone. Um, and so we'll have ongoing support throughout those couple of months and you guys can ask us direct questions. And I would say both, those of you who are familiar with astrology and have some familiar familiarity with your natal chart, but also those of you that are relatively new, I think this will be accessible for everybody. Um, and you know, we're going to be focusing specifically on Venus and the specific Venus transit. So it's actually kind of a nice, contained way to like really delve into one thing, which I think can be hard when learning astrology because you want to know like all the things all at once, but then you get overwhelmed and it's too much.
1: Yeah. So you enter the the foyer of astrology and then you just realize it's like the library of
0: Congress. (laughs) Right. Exactly. (laughs) Um, so, so yeah. And so the way we're going to do this is that Um, you do not have to attend the first lecture on December 11th live, um, because it's mostly just going to be a lecture and something that you can rewatch. Although of course your presence is welcome and encouraged. Um, but then for the next two meetings at 6 PM, um, Pacific on January 8th and February 5th, we, we are not going to be recording those. Um, and we will, uh, require slash encourage you to attend live. Um, because they're going to mostly be group discussions and uh, I think it fosters the most openness and vulnerability when the call is not recorded um, and people show up so uh, we hope you can make it and uh, do you want to tell everyone where they can find the link to sign up for that?
1: Yeah, so the sign-up link will be through my website, which is starhearthastrology.com. I'm sure it will be in the description and all the materials. Um, Go to the bookings page, and there will be lots of information there, and you can sign up through there. Um, Yeah. Is there anything else?
0: I don't think so. Feel free to message me or Whitney with any questions and, um, enrollment will be open from, uh, tomorrow, which is, uh, November 8th through December 8th. Um, and then we begin December 11th and yeah, if you're into it, recommend signing up because as mentioned, we are going to limit it, um, to 25 people to have an intimate group and, yeah, we're really excited. And this is going to be an interesting, uh, project for both of us to co <laughs> co lead <laughs> workshop. Um, yeah, it's going great so far. I'm excited. It's, it's cool.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think around such an important topic, I, you know, I think, um, Venus retrogrades are also this time where we, you know, reevaluate our relationships with other people and the roles that they play. And I think when we come into community and we are doing a lot of rituals in the context of community, um, it makes us feel seen and makes the rituals feel more real. Mm -hmm. Um, We learn so, so much from each other. And I think, Anya, you and I are both in this space, too, of, you know... Of, of wanting to witness and learn from other people's experiences. Yeah. Also um, sure. get different, you know, our 10,000 faces of the Venusian goddess. Yeah. Um, and learn some mythology and, um, yeah. For sure. Even our relational experiences.
0: Yes. Yeah. I always, like, in any course that I teach in astrology, like, I think what we miss the most Often, especially in pop astrology, is like the multivalence of the archetypes, and by meeting with lots of people who all have a Venus somewhere in their chart um, and all have Capricorn somewhere, somewhere in their right. chart. Uh, we really get to understand how these planets and these archetypes express themselves in a myriad of different ways, and how those multivalent expressions relate to one another and sort of fit into this overall theme um but it's a really nice kind of alternative to like being an astrologer and giving readings which is the other way to learn about these different expressions this kind of um in my experience mimics that that kind of uh yeah just seeing lots of different examples of something which is really helpful so yeah S- yeah for sure sweet all right 2 hours two hours. (laughs) It's a good wrap up point. Um, Thanks again for coming on the podcast. And we hope to see a bunch of you over the winter. I'm excited. Yeah. So excited. Thanks, Anya. Yeah. Hey, everybody. Me again. Thanks for sticking around and listening to that conversation. We very much hope to see you in our retrograde with intention course this winter. Again, you can sign up at starhearthastrology.com. I'm also putting a link in the podcast description. So click on that if you'd like an easy link. Uh send me questions if you have them on email, onyacots at gmail.com or on Instagram. Hit me up if you have a question about the course. Um I'm going to play you out today with a Gregory Alan Isakoff uh, song. I'm obsessed with Gregory Alan Isakoff, especially his album evening machines, which very interestingly and synchronistically came out during the 2018 retrograde that Whitney and I just spoke about in depth. In fact, I believe he released it on the day that Venus went retrograde. And I also know that he knows astrology. So, uh, It was sort of all of our theories at the time uh, that he released it on purpose and that the themes of the album actually had a lot to do with Venus and Venus Retrograde. I also have a a theory. (laughs) I don't really have much to base it on. Um, But this was Gregory Alan last album, Evening Machines, that he came out with in late 2018. And I know that he's due for a new album. We're coming up on another Venus retrograde, and I don't know. Maybe he'll release another album for the retrograde. Maybe this is a theme. Who knows? That's what I'm hoping for because I love his music, and it's very difficult for me to like pick favorites of anything. Um, But this album, I can absolutely listen to through, and I often do um, over and over and over again, and I love it. So, this is Southern Star by Gregory Alan Isakoff Highly recommend checking out the album and seeing if you can pick out the Venusian themes. And that's it for today. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being here. Thank you for supporting me. I hope to meet more of you soon. You all are the best. Bye.
1: Oh, my God. Southern star How you tried to hide In darkness slip from orbit Now you're dangerously
0: close oh. Come out, come out From all your hiding out
1: we we'll dig in our heels Salute the battle
0: In the storm clouds are thirsty. I can see him burst and watch them gather.